it's that if you do adopt these technologies early and you kind of um, you you get going on them early and, and actually uh, truly believe in them and, and try to implement them into your and, and, and mold them into your business plan um, and, and whatever your business does, then you, you tend to reap a little bit more benefits there. Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. Dustin, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here because I know that we want to be talking about a lot of things that people are chatting about in the industry in particular emerging technology we are going to dive into the specifics around a report that was deployed but before we get into that we always like to start our show off of talking about you and your journey so can you please walk our listeners through where you started to where you are now yeah absolutely um i hope this doesn't go too long uh <laughs> but um so i basically uh, i i kind of started my career in it about 20 years ago and um, uh, actually ended up uh, in, in between uh, kind of uh, going from, from IT to cybersecurity. I actually joined the United States military um, and I was stationed in Fort Meade, Maryland, where I was then put into uh, cyber operations. Um, so uh, it's kind of where I shifted from IT over to specifically cybersecurity. Um, since then, I've, uh, I've basically been, uh, you know, working um, with uh, different companies, uh, different, uh, you know, United States Department of Defense and, and, and other um, entities like that uh, in order to, uh, you know, do some training on cybersecurity as well as conducting penetration tests. Um, and, uh, and, and ensuring that, uh, you know, as, as far as cybersecurity goes, we're keeping on the same page as, uh, this is going to sound weird, but keeping on the same page as the bad guys so that we actually, you know, understand what the threats are, the current threats are today and, uh, and, and where we really need to focus on for tomorrow. That's really interesting. I mean, I've had a fair few people in terms of guests on the show, especially when it comes to the United States that have worked in the military that's then crossed over into the private sector. Have you seen sort of like a massive difference between how we're doing things in the private sector versus, in, you know, in the government and military or anything like that? Or has there been like a lot of lessons learned as well? No, you know, I actually, I think that, uh, you know, especially in the United States, they do a really good job of connecting with private industry within the, within the United States. So the United States government, if they find that there's an issue or they know of a specific breach, they, they usually do a really good job of reaching out to a company um, or a person or whoever it is and letting them know that, like, hey, this is an issue. Not only that, but of course, we have NIST uh, over here in the United States as well, um, where they release documents that are, you know, basically government mandated, but they work really closely with the three-letter agencies like the NSA and the CIA. CIA in order to kind of um, help build uh, frameworks and other documentation to ensure that companies uh, are, are staying safe and, and are, are practicing good cyber hygiene. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that, in, I mean, if looking at Australia, like we're doing a bit of that, probably not as good as you guys, to be really honest with you. And I think there definitely needs to be more collaboration between um, like government as well as the private sector. So if you, did you have any sort of advice on, on how sort of those two industries can work more in tandem because everyone's got the same objective here, right? To ultimately defeat bad guys, which is a hard enough job as it is, instead of working independently versus more unification would be a better outcome, wouldn't you say as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, same team, same fight, right? That's kind of the saying that, that we have around here. 
um, and uh, and and it really applies. Um, as far as uh, you know, how to go about doing that, it, it it's hard to say because I don't know you know what the roadblocks would be with that. Um, I understand that some things are very sensitive. You know, there's there's definitely up you know being an in information security. There is very sensitive information sometimes that you can't always share with the private sector, um, being in uh, in government work, but. Um, you know, for the most part, when it comes to, uh, you know, we just had the colonial pipeline attack over here uh, and our, our Federal Bureau of Investigation, or FBI, uh, got together with the, uh, the the leaders of that industry. And they were actually able to recover a, a large portion of the ransom that that company ended up paying. Um, and so, you know, we, we do have that collaboration. It hasn't always been great, <laughs> by the way. It has taken some work. So uh, I think that that latest, um, that latest kind of collaboration between, you know, the, the victims here, uh, at, uh, at Colonial Pipeline and the Federal Bureau of Investigation uh, within the U.S. was really kind of a, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say a wake-up call, but kind of a, 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 a good mark of where we're at with that and, and how far we've really come with it. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think I always like to sort of uh, get that information out of people just so other people in other parts of the world can sort of understand how people are doing it differently and what sort of key takeaways people can, can really uh, un understand from what you're saying. So, Dustin, let's switch gears and let's sort of talk around the recent ISAC report, which is covering emerging technology. Now, this is interesting because I've had a lot of people on the show recently covering like cloud and uh, artificial intelligence, IoT, everything like that. But one of the things that was sort of illuminated to me specifically was around because of the pandemic, this really accelerated people adoption towards emerging technology. Now, if you look at an industry like Australia, we are a very reserved nation. We don't like doing things differently. In the US, probably because you guys are substantially bigger than us, we like to take risks. I actually really, um, I really appreciate that a lot more. Uh, and so I think for I think for Australian companies in particular, it's probably a little bit harder because people are sort of really on the fence about cloud. But then because of the pandemic and everything that's sort of happening is people were forced into their backwards against the wall, right? Like they had to make a move because they had no other option. So I'm really right. keen to sort of unpack this a little bit as well. I still do believe that people are a little bit concerned when it does come to cloud, uh, for example. So I'm really keen to sort of, again, like demystify, debunk a lot of theories and fallacies that people do have around this as well. So one of the things that was interesting to me when reading the report, it says that majority of respondents, 55%, indicate that their organizations evaluate emerging technologies on an as-needed basis instead of a set time frame. So one, what does that sort of mean and can you define that? And then secondly, can you talk me through this approach? Like why are people choosing to evaluate tech this way? So it's interesting you brought up that uh, you believe that Australia is a little bit uh, uh, conservative, I think would be the uh, the terminology that, uh, that, that I would use over here as far as uh, adoption of emerging technologies. Uh, I actually see the same thing in the United States. So <laughs> I think it depends, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it depends on uh, you know, being a technologist is, is uh, you know, we see these reports every day. We see these uh, these great new uh, technologies that are coming out and these great new uses for these older technologies and kind of how they're, um, we, we kind of see where the market's going and we're like, hey, let's just adopt. Let's just, why, why aren't we using the cloud already? Why aren't we using artificial intelligence for things? Why aren't we using all these great new utilities that we have? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that the answer lies somewhere in um, you know, understanding that uh, for a really long time, 
IT has uh, has been there. Business was there first, right? And IT kind of helped business go faster. Um, now and 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 helped enable business. Now we kind of see a shift in IT actually causing business to happen. So it's no longer IT is in the room with business. It's now business and IT are in the room together and they need to learn how to work together. Um, and that's kind of, that's really the way that I see it and the way that this report really kind of reflects that as well. Um, and I think that the catalyst here uh, with with COVID-19 is that, you know, um, you know uh, necessity breeds innovation, right? Um, we've had the innovation here for years. And, and, and honestly, thank God we did. In some cases, uh, cloud usage went up as much as 600%. Um, and uh, we had that infrastructure there. And one of the great things about the cloud is its elasticity, right? That's actually one of the main selling points of it is that if all of a sudden you need more bandwidth or you need more servers, guess what? You got it. Um, you're going to pay more for it, obviously. <laughs> That's kind of the point. Um, but but you've got it, and it's there. And and we built this like really amazing digital world around ourselves, and and we had all these things ready to go. So when the pandemic did happen, and and companies had to kind of turn on a dime to going to 100% remote or 50% remote or whatever you know whatever it was in your particular area, we had the capability to do that. Um, and businesses, you know, reluctantly have been, you know, really kind of trying to push away the uh, the the work from home remote uh, remote capabilities or, or narrative that, that kind of goes along with that. Um, and and obviously with the pandemic, they were no longer uh, uh, able to do that. Um, we had a couple of different emerging technologies that really started to shine during the pandemic and really kind of helped us out. Uh, but the cloud technology was definitely at the top tier, uh, top of that list. Um, it, it just it, it was there. It was it was ready to go. Um, we definitely had issues with it. There were some uh, some breaches that happened with Zoom. There were some breaches that happened with AWS. There were some breaches that happened with Microsoft. But for the most part, it was just as um, uh, you know. It, for the most part, it it really helped enable the businesses to continue doing business during the pandemic. Um, you know, one of the numbers you mentioned here was fifty three. I think it was was it fifty three percent? Is that right? Yeah, fifty five percent. 50, okay, yeah, um, and and that number to me is actually kind of low. And I think um, one of the things that uh, usually when you read a report on cloud-enabled tech, or you know, if you're utilizing cloud, or if your company is utilizing cloud, it's usually around ninety percent, right? Eighty to ninety percent is usually what we see in reports. Um, with this report, I, I almost think that uh, that cloud has almost become such a uh, you know, we, I don't want to say we take it for granted, but we might not even know we're using it when we are, right? Uh, so we have all these uh, these great capabilities, and 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 you know, we utilize our phones. And there might be a company out there that uses something like Microsoft 365, which is technically a, a software as a service, which is technically a, a cloud service, right? Um, and but. Um, there, you know, it, it might just be that the person filling out the survey might not understand that, like, and they might actually be on Office 365 at the moment and, and utilizing cloud, but they're like, oh, no, we don't implement anything cloud because they might be thinking more specifically like their job is, um, you know, for IT infrastructure. No, we don't use the cloud. We have all of our infrastructure on premise while they're going to their Office 365, you know, account. So <laughs> there's a lot of uh, a lot of different things there that could be causing that number to be a little bit lower than it usually is. Wow, there's so many things in there that I sort of want to unpack. So, okay, so the first thing is necessity breeds innovation. That's something that you mentioned. I really, I agree with that. So would you say it's sort of like a double-edged sword? Like we had the pandemic, terrible thing that's happened, but then sort of the silver lining in this or the way to sort of look at this optimistically would be, well, we've sort of now been forced into adopting to 
emerging technology, but also developing and incubating innovation. Would you say that that's sort of a good thing, or do you or do you think that people are still afraid that because they felt forced into it, perhaps that maybe they're still a little bit apprehensive and potentially still on the fence about it? No, I think one hundred percent. You know, I'm 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 a, a forever optimist. I think, and uh, I, I always try to find the silver lining. And by no means am I happy that the COVID nineteen pandemic happened, uh, so that we could, um, you know, kind of bring these technologies out and and really and really let them shine. However, they just kind of did that on their own. Um, they would have eventually done it on their own, obviously. Um, you know, as as we we've already kind of seen a, a mass cloud adoption. Um, with things like virtual reality and and uh, and AR, XR, and VR, um, you know, I think a lot of people thought it was just kind of goofy technology because we kind of saw a little bit of it in the '90s, and uh, you know, it was just too obtuse to kind of use back then. Uh, but now we see, you know, schools are utilizing it. Um, uh, for learning and and different companies are using it for training, um, and and again every school uh, you know that uh, not every school but most schools in the U S when they you know they they had to go to virtual so now we see this really interesting thing happening with uh, online learning where uh, you know if you went to a, a college or university within the United States that was uh, you know maybe wasn't a brick and mortar it might have been a you know a full online uh, university you might have been looked down upon or it might have been seen as lower uh, lower education uh, than than a brick and mortar school. Whereas uh, now, you know, if you graduated in 2020 or 2021, there's a good chance that you probably did your last semester or last few semesters uh, online. So it, it's it, you're right. It's kind of leveling this playing field a bit um, of you know this older establishment and our and our our constructs behind that, our, our kind of mental constructs of how we view things. Um, you know, uh, the internet for the most part might be a fun thing uh, for, before the pandemic was was probably seen more by more people as like a fun thing for social media and for buying things online for shopping, uh, but maybe not much so much for doing their own business or for, you know, again, conducting education. Uh, whereas now, again, the, the field's been leveled. It's it's like, nope, that's exactly what we had to do in 2020 and 2021. Uh, and it's it's kind of continuing. It depends really on the region that you're at, uh, that you're living in. Um, you know, we we have places in the US that are going in and out of, of, of lockdown or quarantine. Um, and, uh, and and there are still students and, and teachers who are uh, coming down with illnesses, maybe not COVID-19 specifically, but are still having to teach or attend classes virtually. Um, and they can do that now. It's not. It's not. Oh nope. I got to stay out. I got to be in quarantine for two weeks because I don't know what's going on. It's no. We can. You can actually continue to do your work now. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. Instead of giving two weeks off, maybe you, you know, you have to go in and work instead. Um, but uh, again, if you're capable, most people, most people do want to work, right? So yeah, it's uh, it, it's hard to say. It, it is hard to to be happy about <laughs> something like this. But yes, I think it definitely uh, it definitely made. More people understand not just the benefits of technology and emerging technology, but also um, it it was it was a it was a learning curve, but it had to happen really quickly. And so now we're at this new level where we're all kind of returning back to whatever the new normal is. Um, and uh, it's it's really kind of sh- you know it, companies are taking a good hard look at their bottom line and being like wow we actually kind of saved a lot of money by not having you know uh, a building where people were coming in using electricity um, you know uh, d- the employees saved time money and sanity by not having to drive in traffic and <laughs> not having to make their commutes every morning so it kind of worked out uh, really well for a lot of people now there are definitely some some uh, you know uh, negative effects from that. Uh, 
that 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 happened with with certain employ with uh, different employees and employers. Um, you know, and and there are definitely some mental. Uh, you know, the work life balance uh, was kind of thrown askew for everybody. Uh, but now that we're returning and and kids are returning to school and most people are returning to work, you know, I I don't see why we wouldn't kind of continue on with something like. Um, you know, working from home uh, on on a uh, on a regular basis, maybe not five days a week, but who, who knows half the week, or or maybe you can just choose to come into the office if you need to or not. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think I think one of the things as well is we don't have enough perspective. Like we haven't operated like this before, ever before. So I think we don't have enough data points to really assess: is this good? Is this bad? Like, what right. does that sort of look like? Uh, but I guess as we sort of traverse into this new way of operating this sort of mo- modern digital work from anywhere sort of approach, I guess people will sort of work that out. But one of the things that I observed was when the pandemic first emerged, so to speak, a lot of people then sort of jumped on Zoom very, very quickly. Now, one of the things that was interesting do you believe that it was a lot of market hype in terms of, well, everyone's on Zoom, I've got to be on Zoom. Obviously, you've got Microsoft Teams and stuff like that, but that was probably the predominant player. But then what happened, which you sort of spoke about before, is that there was a lot of vulnerabilities in that. And then they fixed that and that was all fine. But would you say that a lot of companies didn't do accurate due diligence or any sort of um, in-depth vendor analysis on Zoom, perhaps, because everyone sort of had it so it made sense that maybe it was okay. But again, that's sort of following a crab mentality when in fact there were issues with Zoom initially, which they fixed. But I think from my point of view, there's a lot of hype around stuff in the market and then people naturally just adopt to it. And would you say that that's probably a similar sort of impact then with cloud or? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, exactly. I, I know that when people had to, when, when the companies had to kind of go into the cloud and, and, and conduct business or go into Zoom or, or do whatever, you know, they had to use some kind of collaboration tool. If they didn't already have one, uh, yeah, they probably turned to the one that had the most hype behind it, for sure. Now, yes, uh, we had issues that were found in Zoom. We had uh, security vulnerabilities that were found in different cloud uh, platforms. Um but this is, it was kind of an interesting case study because we see this effect happen with open source software a lot, where um, if it's open source software or community-based software, um, security uh, issues and vulnerabilities within the software are done uh, really quickly because basically you have a whole community of people that's actually conducting uh, you know, uh, static or dynamic code analysis on this code. And so kind of what we saw with Zoom and, and again with these cloud providers is almost a community of people coming together uh, to, to maybe not look at the code because that's still proprietary for a lot of these folks, um, but vulnerability test. And I'm not saying that nothing was stolen, that it was all altruistic and, and you know, it was just you know, people trying to be good Samaritans and, and find these security vulnerabilities. Um, but there were a lot of security vulnerabilities found and Zoom was actually pretty responsive. Um, I think the first uh, security vulnerability they had was uh, a lot of their communications, wasn't, uh, they weren't um, encrypted. And so uh, you know, somebody either wrote a white paper or did, did an expose on it and said, oh yeah, look, like I can totally look at this stream uh, that I wasn't invited to because it's unencrypted. I can see what these people are saying to each other. 
Um, and I think Zoom had that turned around within at least a week. It was a very quick response and uh, kind of an impressive response on their end. On on the cloud, um, you know, on the cloud side of the house, uh, you know, uh, Amazon, uh, the big players, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, they usually do a really good job of um, uh, you know vetting their own software. But uh, again, they're the the way that hackers usually win is because they know something that the software developer doesn't know, or they know something that the vendor doesn't know. Um, and one of the big things with that is, uh, you know, everybody thinks differently, right? So if you release something like this to, uh, to a group of people or all of a sudden a group of people are really, really interested in, in security testing or, or doing whatever, there's going to be a lot more uh, results from that, right? Because you're going to have a lot more, a lot different minds thinking about it than than the people who necessarily designed it to do what it was supposed to do. Um, so we kind of saw, again, it was kind of this interesting, I don't want to say open source, but it kind of had that same effect as open source software, where all of a sudden now everything was, you know, these, these major platforms that uh, some, you know, select uh, hackers might have been interested in, or, you know, select nefarious actors might have been interested in, but now all of a sudden everybody was using it, so now we're all 100% interested in it. It's kind of like the the PC-Mac debate, uh, you know, 20 years ago. If you were using a Mac computer, you probably weren't going to get hacked because there was really no vulnerabilities or or hacks for it because nobody was really using Macs, right? Uh, I'm dating myself 20 years. It's probably more like 30 years, <laughs> but... Um, uh, you know, once Mac, once MacBooks kind of became a, a really popular uh, item, now there are vulnerabilities for MacBooks, and there are there are exploits for uh, Mac OS X. So uh, you know, it's kind of that that same effect that's happening where once we see mass adoption happen on something, then it becomes a target. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I do remember people talking about Macs, and uh, yeah, I was definitely an early adopter to Macs as well. So on that front, now. Cloud-enabled technologies were the, definitely the front runner, and I think some of the things you've just illuminated today, like the hype around it, the marketing around it, like people are just naturally probably adopting to it. And I think the the um, the number on that was fifty three percent adoption rate. So, given that cloud computing has been available for like a decade, it's somewhat surprising that perhaps only that number, and I think you sort of said that at the start, like it's still pretty low, right? So I, I kind yeah. of envision that number would be higher uh, due to it being around for a long period of time, due to the nature of what happened last year in terms of, you know, catastrophic events. And right. I'm, I'm keen to sort of explore like why that number wasn't higher because, I mean, a lot of things you just spoke about before with Zoom, for example, is that mass adoption. It, it's people talking about it. It's getting communities involved, and then you become that target. So I'm really keen to sort of explore that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And and yes, those numbers are, uh, that that's a low number um, for sure. And, and as I kind of mentioned earlier, uh, it, it might be that uh, the person taking the uh, the survey uh, might be using cloud and just not realize it, right? We kind of have that take it for granted effect that happens um, because there is so much mass adoption for it. Um, now, going back to, uh, you know, cloud's been around for, uh, cloud has actually kind of been around since 2006, I think is when the, the phrase was kind of coined by Google. Um, and, and it's really kind of been ramping up ever since then. And we see this weird thing happen with emerging technologies, such as cloud that's been around 
around since 2006. Another emerging technology that we work with a lot is blockchain, uh, which has uh, been around since 2008, 2009, uh, maybe even earlier, depending on on what you what you believe to be blockchain and what you don't believe to be blockchain. Uh, there's some there's definitely some uh, literature from the from the 90s on on uh, timestamping and hashing uh, different uh, different pieces of data. So you could kind of uh, cobble that together into something that might resemble blockchain. Um, IoT that that phrase uh, I just did a talk on that today. That phrase has been around since 1999, believe it or not. Um, and so we have these um, these emerging technologies. And oh, and I'm sorry, AI. How could I forget that? AI has been around for uh, <laughs> I mean since the 70s, right? We've always kind of had these, uh, if not in science fiction, then in science theory for sure. Um, we always had these uh, these dreams of of, of machines that uh, that were uh, on the same level as us intellectually. Um, and so we have. Um, you know, all these technologies that are, are really starting to come to fruition um, and really kind of starting to come into adoption uh, more than anything else. And I think with that adoption is is the hype that's kind of built into it. And and you get these these hype cycles that kind of happen with these things where, you know, you see your competitor using it or your company sees their competitor using it and says, we need to adopt now. And it kind of goes back to your original question uh, about the, the, the reticence of, of somebody to adopt something uh, new, which is kind of, oh, let's, let's stay back and watch other people do this and see how it works for them. And that's something that we continually see in the IT field, right? And the cybersecurity field as well, where, um, you know, we really want to measure ourselves against other, um, against other companies. And we really want to see, you know, if they can take the risk, then let them take the risk. We don't need to take the risk to do the, to do the, um, uh, the initial, um, adoption of this technology or the initial, um, um, you know, implementation of this technology within our infrastructure, let them do that. And then we'll see kind of how it works for them. And then we can kind of learn from their mistakes. It's not a bad tactic, but at the same time, they're going to be miles ahead of you uh, if it actually does take off. So for instance, you know, talk, let's talk about blockchain and, and cryptocurrency specifically. We have a lot of um, early adopters uh, in the United States uh, for, for cryptocurrency. And if you bought Bitcoin five years ago, guess what? You're probably doing pretty good as a company. Now, I'm not saying that all Technologies are going to have the same rate of return or um, same uh, same inflation as uh, as cryptocurrencies, um, but uh, it, it's a good case study in that it's it's that if you do adopt these technologies early and you kind of um, you you get going on them early and, and actually uh, truly believe in them and, and try to implement them into your and and, and mold them into your business plan um, and and whatever your business does, then you you tend to reap a little bit more benefits there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's so many things in there that you said. And one of the things in terms of the hype stuff, what I have seen, and you've probably seen this too, when people or vendors are sort of talking around, you know, about AI and we got ML and IoT, when they do all these things. But then what happens is people's eyes start to glaze over. They start to just get a little bit bored because it's that buzzword. And I think that oh, yes. sometimes it can almost do a disservice then because everyone's talking about it. or people use terminology and they and they sort of interchange them it doesn't make any sense like people confuse machine learning and artificial intelligence quite often yes. or a lot of vendors claim that they do artificial intelligence when in fact i think there was actually a report that was released i think it was out of the u.s that had done some analysis and said like 90 percent of these companies in fact did not so it was more so just around that <laughs> hype that marketing that that hyperbole around like this is what we do and so that, that's one of the things. But then I guess when you said taking the risk, now going back to the, the original part of the conversation when I was talking that Australia is a little bit more reserved and you said you see that as well in the US, 
I worked for largest bank in Australia. And one thing that I observed when I was working there, if we bought some new technology, the other banks would then follow. So we were like yeah. the guinea pig. And so <laughs> would you say to to overcome that? Because I agree, like you're probably going to be behind your competitor or you're probably not in terms of your security posture, maybe be lacking. Would you say it's a mentality thing from a leadership perspective? Would you also say that it's underpinned by accurate due diligence, vendor analysis, but that's sort of then driven by the hype as well to even get the attention about a vendor or new technology in the first place? Yeah, I'd say there's a, there's a few things going on here. The first thing is that uh, humans don't like change. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, that's a behavioral thing, right? Uh, and, and and it's something that we we constantly see coming up in uh, in IT and emerging technologies. Is that you know uh, for me a big part of emerging technology, and this isn't necessarily um, uh, you know uh, in the zeitgeist for it, or, or maybe it doesn't hold true for everybody. Um, but uh, adoption rate for me, or or um, societal adoption rate, is a huge factor when it comes to this. Uh, again. We've had some of these technologies around for decades, uh, but we haven't really seen uh, seen a whole lot of adoption for it until just recently, or maybe until marketing got to a point where it could hype somebody up in order to buy it, or, hey, your competitor's doing this. Why aren't you doing this? Um, and so I, I think that, you know, I think it definitely plays into it. Uh, and, uh, you know, as far as... Uh, other reasons for not adopting new, uh, newer technologies or or emerging technologies, um, you know, a lot. Uh, we, we get a, a lot of people who, you know, we hear this all the time as well, where it's like, well, we didn't, you know, you can't, you kind of hear this from your parents, and <laughs> it can kind of be applied to business as well, where you know, we didn't have that when we were, uh, you know, we didn't have that that luxury when we were growing up. Uh, so you you really don't need that either to succeed. Um, and and I think with technology, there's been a long hard road of that. Of uh, we didn't have that technology, we didn't have these with these digital technologies, we didn't have these capabilities, uh, and we still managed to make business happen. We still manage, you know, especially for a bank, we still manage to, um, you know, keep our ledgers, and we still manage to make sure people's monies were safe and make sure that our investments were were sound. Um, and it's true, uh, but unfortunately. Um, the other thing we see is that uh, uh, one of the first adopters of a lot of these technologies, especially for uh, digitization of, of records and, and, and kind of going in that route, is, uh, is governments. And so in order to keep up with the government, you kind of have to, uh, you know, especially in a, in a highly regulated industry such as banking, you kind of have to uh, change a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's you know, a, a big part of it is that uh, people don't like change. And uh, it... It, uh, with the pandemic, they were forced to, so they did. Um, and and now that they're kind of in that world, they're like, oh, you know what, this isn't so bad. And actually, these things are going faster, and we've streamlined these processes and been able to adopt this new technology. Um, but there are still some other things, like I, I with crypto. Again, I keep going back to cryptocurrency just because it's a really good example of this. Um, you know, it's that's a really long, hard road to adoption because we're basically talking about not using paper money anymore, which although we really haven't been using paper money, right, for the most part, at least in the United States, uh, most of our financial records are digitized. Uh, we, you know, we don't really have, uh, I don't have... Uh, you know, paper paper dollars sitting in a uh, in a in a bank vault somewhere. You know, it's just it's kind of out in a database somewhere, right? And and I think once you explain things like that to people, they they kind of they snap to a little bit when it comes to uh, when it comes to um, 
uh, adoption of, of of digital currencies. Now, and then speaking to your anecdote as well about how people's eyes glaze over uh, all the time. I mean, <laughs> whenever, uh, you know, everybody's really excited about, of course, cryptocurrency and, and, and new technologies just in general. But as soon as you start talking to someone about blockchain and how blockchain works, their eyes definitely glaze over and they could care less about it, especially a layman, right? So it is this, uh, it's this interesting effect where people, you know, uh, end users, they want to reap the benefits of all these technologies. Of course, that's that's what they were created for. Um, but they don't necessarily want to know uh, how the technology works, and and that's that's kind of that's another disconnect that we see as well with people with senior leadership uh, specifically. Um, you know, a CEO doesn't have to be a technologist to be a CEO. They don't. Um, you, you know, even if they work for a technology company, they kind of don't have to be a technologist uh, to be a CEO. They probably should, but that's you know that's my own opinion. Um, and in doing that, it's kind of our job as technologists and as, you know, if you have a position as a, a CTO or a, or a CISO or a CIO um, to kind of be the, uh, you're, you're the, you're the technologist for the CEO, right? And you're explaining the decisions uh, or you're explaining the, the pros and cons of emerging technologies and whether or not to implement those or not. There's so many things in there that my brain was thinking when you were speaking that sort of came up for me was, so there's a couple of things. Number one would be is when you spoke around last year, people were forced into it. I get that. So do you believe that people will revert back to their own ways because people are creatures of habit, like, oh, I was forced to get out of my comfort zone. <laughs> but now I'm sort of in that comfort zone again. Will, will people sort of just go back to how they were? Or what's your view on that? I think you'll definitely see a group of people who will. Um, but I think the majority are probably going to uh, continue onward and upward. Um, you know, one of, one of the other, yeah, I guess, I don't know if, I don't know if I can call this universal truth or not, but one of the other things that I really see is as something that always happens, progress always happens. Um, innovation always happens. It's, it's always going to happen, uh, you know, pending some kind of, um, you know, uh, catastrophic event. Um, the human race will continue to move forward. Technology will continue to be innovative. And, uh, and, and you can either, you can either uh, uh, embrace that and adopt the technologies that will work for you or, um, you know, uh, reject it and then fall behind your, uh, your competitor. Uh, another thing that we see with, the, with just the internet alone and, and the World Wide Web and uh, company, you know, smaller companies being able to, to get mass adoption really quickly is that if you're not willing to do it, um, there, there's probably somebody out there who is willing to do it and willing to try it and willing to implement it. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we see that with social media a lot. Um, and, and we see, uh, different, uh, you know, different entities really having to kind of catch up and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, get with the program when it comes to adopting these things. But yeah, to answer your question, I think, um, I, I think there will be a subset of people who will try to, uh, who, who will try to go back to, well, I really need to go into the office and I, I, I just can't do this without human interaction. And that's a little different, right? Because we're talking about human interaction, which we all need. That's not, you know, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm. Uh, but for the, for the majority, the majority of people are actually going to stick, I think, stick with the, uh, the capability of being able to work remotely if that's possible and being able to, you know, utilize these newer technologies that really came to fruition. Um, and I, I think just seeing the benefits of of um, uh, of all these new technologies is really uh, it's eye opening, right? It's kind of uh, it's it's a little bit uh, allegory of the cave where uh, you know the people have gotten up and they've gone out and they've looked outside and they don't they're not going to go back and stare at the fire anymore. <laughs> and I don't I don't mean to talk <laughs> to talk down or, or say that anybody who you know isn't a isn't a, an immediate adopter of any kind of new technology is is like that or like a caveman or anything, but um, you know it, it it's it's that idea that um, that one once you see it, it's hard to unsee it.
Absolutely. And one of the things as well that I really would like to get your opinion on now, this is maybe a curly one for you, but you talk about adoption, right? And you, you mentioned like, you know, our parents saying like, well, you know, we didn't have that growing up. Totally true. But would you say from your perspective, when you've got sort of, you know, in the next sort of decade, we'll see the new wave of CEOs coming through, like your millennials that have grown up with technology that completely has changed the game in terms of how we operate, how we even interact from a personal professional level. Would you say that companies that have got millennial leaders will likely adopt emerging technologies faster because they've probably had more experience, they've grown up in it, they've sort of been bred into this sort of society, right? Would you say that would be a driving factor to people having this mass adoption quicker than perhaps that we've seen in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it could, but I also want to say, um, you know, just just to caveat that a little bit. Um, yes, millennials, uh, you know, uh, some of the, the the older ones haven't, but the younger ones have kind of grown up with technology and the internet kind of always being there, right? Um, uh, and and then the next generation, forget it. Like they, <laughs> the the millennials' kids are already using uh, using smart smart devices and smartphones and talking to Alexa and talking to Google, right? Uh, in their houses and and having it play music and having it play games with them. So they're they're on a totally different level, even the millennials. Um, with that being say, said, I don't necessarily think that there is an age. Um, uh, and an age demarcation between somebody who's willing to adopt new technologies and somebody who's not. Um, you know, we see um, uh, 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 occupational psychologists and uh, and and people who run different uh, studies on um, uh, on on workplaces and, and kind of how teams function. And we see time and time again that the more diverse your team, uh, gender wise, age wise, um, race wise. Um, uh, the the more uh, agile your team is going to be, the more innovative your team is going to be, and uh, and I think that holds true um, across the board. So I don't necessarily think it's an age thing. I do understand what you're saying, though. I do think that yeah, they'll you know maybe millennials will be more likely to take that that risk, or maybe there will just be less risk when millennials are you know are really kind of coming into their own when it comes to or coming into being uh, CEOs. Um, and then again, Gen Gen Z is gonna gonna wipe us all, so <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna be so ready to uh, to um, adopt uh, adopt adopt new technologies that uh, <laughs> it'll make our heads spin. Oh my gosh, you're so right. I think it was, it, um, yeah, it's not, definitely not an age thing. It's just probably more so just that that era, like how, how people have grown up, that, that they're used to that perhaps. So I was just really, yeah, just definitely keen to just explore like what, what, that, what that actually means. But I think the other side of that is, yes, people are adopting emerging technologies, but then there's the other side of that in the report that says like only 13% either have like no plans to implement cloud-enabled technologies or don't even know if they will ever implement them at all. So why do you think this is the case? So this is sort of now we're going on the other side of people perhaps being totally adverse to it. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw really interesting about this uh, this survey is that with the data, we saw a lot of I don't knows for things. Um, and that's okay because we're talking about emerging technology. So there's not a lot of known, right? Especially when it comes to something like quantum computing. Like, uh, yeah, uh, you don't know. And guess what? Uh, the, the theoretical physicists don't know either. That's kind of the whole, <laughs> that's the whole thing with quantum computing. But uh, I, I'll digress on quantum for a second here and go, get back to your question. Um, the uh, you know the I don't know uh, for adoption of something like cloud, which has been so 
um, you know, you could say classically adopted. It's been so, uh, you know, so prominent in in today's society, um, and uh, and it's kind of everywhere you look. It, it, even if you're not going to adopt it within your, um, uh, you know, within your enterprise or just within your home business or whatever it is you're using, um, if you got a smartphone, guess what? You're using cloud technology. So um, we kind of see this. I think it might be, you know, a, a little bit of a of a misconception on what what cloud technology is as well, because we kind of see. Uh, I, I I run this uh, emerging technology advisory group. Um, at ISACA, and uh, it's a it's uh, um, uh, about eight or nine of our of our members uh, who are volunteers, excellent, excellent people, really, really sharp on different emerging technologies and implementations thereof. Um, and they kind of talk about this new ecosystem that we have, where um, yeah, you can you can be using cloud, but guess what? You're probably using some form of machine learning in that as well. You're probably using some some form of uh, of, of software defined uh, networking. You're probably you know there's there's this new E- digital ecosystem that's being built out of all these emerging technologies, um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I, as far as why somebody would say that they weren't going to adopt cloud, maybe they're getting ready to retire, uh, <laughs> or maybe uh, maybe they just don't see it in their future. Maybe they they have a tried and true way of doing things. We have a lot of um, IT auditors at ISACA. And, uh, and, and sometimes the, the old Excel spreadsheet is kind of their, uh, the way that they work and that's it. Uh, and, and it gets the job done and it works and it's just kind of the system that they have. So do they really need to adopt cloud technology? Well, maybe not, especially if they're a consultant and they just kind of go in and they can just, you know, send emails off or, uh, you know, write, write, write up their reports send their emails off. And that's really all they need to do. Maybe they just don't need, um, you know, cloud technology. So it could be, could be the size of their companies, uh, or the size of, um, you know, of their work workplaces or, or the need they might not need to um uh you know uh host massive amounts of data which is another another thing that we see with cloud so when people sort of saying like in the report like i don't know where do you think that sort of stems from a little bit more in terms of i think one of the things that you mentioned before they don't necessarily know that they're using it technically so a lot of these things are embedded in everyday things that we use that might not be so obvious uh so would you say that that's probably more that there's a lack of understanding there perhaps there could be a lack of understanding and i, I think that's kind of what they're what uh what are um uh respondents were getting at and to me that was actually a really amazing positive thing that happened because i think we have a lot of um uh, experts, specifically in the cybersecurity field, who um, you know are kind of afraid to say that they don't know what something is, and of course, in that they lose a little bit of expertise, right? If they don't, if they don't ever know, know or, or, or they don't ever ask, then then they won't ever learn, right? Um, and so uh, it was kind of this amazing thing because usually, and and I, I know you've been in IT, and I know that. Uh, you know, any ITs out there will know that uh, we always have an opinion about something. <laughs> if we're saying we don't know, then we really must not know. Um, and I think that ad- admission to, um, you know, I, I don't want to call it ignorance, but that m- admission to uh, not necessarily knowing or, or understanding um, is, is a big step forward uh, just for um, uh, our field in general. And, uh, and, uh, it was just, it was kind of amazing to me. And again, the, the proper answer for quantum is yes, you don't know. Um, again, none of us do. Uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very new technology. It's a very, um, uh, theoretical technology as well. Uh, you know, there, there's jury's still out on whether it's actually going to come to fruition or not, uh, even in the next hundred years, um, you know, and that's coming from theoretical physicists. So, uh, you know, you have this kind of, this really interesting, um, 
kind of uh, ad- admittance to, especially when it comes to emerging technology, not on maybe not fully understanding it, um, or maybe you understand it a little bit, but you don't understand it enough to actually make a judgment call on it. I think like going back to what you said before, it's going to come down to like business use cases, like if people need it or not. And I think sometimes a lot of people in the industry is buy things because it's the new thing that is the hype around it or and it's it's a new thing to get, right? So right. I, I do agree with all of your points that you raised. But I think lastly, the question I'd really like to just explore as well is would you say from your point of view, people are still quite overwhelmed when it comes to sort of cloud and do you ultimately believe that we as a society that will get to a stage where cloud is like the only real option moving forward? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, yes, I think people most certainly get uh, overwhelmed with cloud. And I think that's true for most technologies. And I, I think one of the main takeaways I'd like for people to uh, uh, to um, come away with from uh, our discussion is that um, although these technologies are emerging, again, they've been around for a long time and they're still kind of based on the same technologies that we've been using since the 70s, um, with the exception of quantum computing, uh, which again is uh, years, if not decades, if not centuries away um, from, uh, from actually, uh, again, coming to fruition. With with all that being said, cloud technologies are um, uh, are just computers someplace else. One of my favorite uh, jokes about it is that there is no cloud; it's just somebody else's computer. And I think that's really important to remember that yes. Uh, these new technologies are getting much more intricate, but they're still built out of these old building blocks. And if we can just take them and 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 kind of um, dissect them down into their simplest parts, we see they they all of a sudden become less daunting uh, tasks to manage and to secure. Um, and uh, and I think that's a really important takeaway from this. So, will cloud be the only option for the future? Uh, again, a really good question. I don't, um, I don't know if we'll ever get rid of the on-premise server. I don't, you know, specifically when it comes to, uh, you know, really, really sensitive information. Are we really going to trust that to kind of go out to these different services and servers um, uh, out there somewhere, right? We don't even know where they're physically located. I, I, I find that very hard to believe. However, um, that could be my um, my own bias, kind of, you know, thinking about how that that kind of information is managed. Um, you know, that there might be some kind of new algorithm that comes out that will actually, you know, completely be, you know, the, the new RSA and will uh, will uh, encrypt all of our data. And there's no way that anybody can ever break it. And uh, even quantum can't break it if it ever if it ever, you know, works out. Um, I, I don't uh, you know, it, it's hard to foresee that. Uh, but I don't think that we'll ever be rid of, of you know, um, uh, serverless, uh, 100% serverless uh, societies or, you know, uh, enterprises or corporations unless they're cloud, right? Um, I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, and I guess it's going to depend, right, in terms of, you know, some people, that's their requirement. They have to um, have on-prem. So I think, yeah, it's going to depend. But I, I would say that's probably definitely right. a minority um, but I guess we'll see, right? Like, who knows? Maybe someone comes out with something amazing that we never see on prem ever again. But again, right. it's going to come down to the company, the business case, what people actually require it for. Again, people don't want to even adopt it at all. So I think 
I think a lot of things that you shared today is interesting. Yes, about the technologies, but probably even more so around people's thinking, how they approach things, how do they go about adopting new technologies as well. So I really appreciate you spending the time today uh, and to really dissect a lot of things that I believe people in the market do have questions around. I think it's really important to have these conversations to really demystify a lot of the questions people do have around cloud and know that these things aren't all bad and these things can actually be quite advantageous if you if you implement them correctly. So really appreciate the time, Dustin. If people perhaps have a question that I didn't ask you today, even though I asked you a lot of questions, how can they go about getting in contact with you? Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, more than happy to take questions uh, on there. Just shoot me a message. I get I get questions all the time. So uh, and I'm, I'm I'm usually pretty decent about responding on on LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn would be the best way to uh, to get in contact with me. Awesome. Well, yeah, really appreciate the chat. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting getting getting people's different perspectives and thoughts and really exploring these things further. So thanks again, Dustin, and I can't wait to get you back. Yeah, thank you, Carissa. Anytime. Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time.